Hi, and welcome to Telepathic TV. This is television that you watch with your third eye, and I'm R. Neville Johnston. And uh, this evening's program is uh, something of a departure for us. I've been uh, writing uh, metaphysical fiction. I've been writing stories. And I would like to read uh, one of the stories I've written as the uh, main flux of the uh, show this evening. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. As we've traditionally done, uh, we wish to inform we the human race, we the Hugh person race is more accurate, of uh, the Mayan calendar today and the dream spell of the Mayan calendar. It's uh, three ik, which is the tribe of the spirit or the wind, however you want to put that. And I activate in order to communicate bonding breath. I seal the input of spirit with the electric tone of service. And the guide tribe is Kimi. So once we start to become aware of the different cycles of time, we have a far greater ability in our life. We have just plain more consciousness to allow ourselves to depart from. Uh, so many times we have spoken the idea that we have to accept the idea that there is more than one correct answer. And we've given this uh, many, many thousand times. There is more than one correct answer. As long as we are rigidly adhering to the idea of one and only one correct answer, we are very easily manipulated. We are powerless because once we find that correct answer, then we stop the thought process. And so we are constantly being brought up short uh, in our growth. And we are putting an end to this. You know, we have... Uh, taught the trinities, um, we will take our next step into the fourth dimension. And as I said, this evening I'd like to read a short story, and I'm going to do that. This is going to be part of a book coming out called Metaphysical Short Stories. And it's a, a place that's a very different. Stories will stick in your mind like that, and perhaps that's the technique by which we can get our thinking across to people more than we have been. We have put it forth in a bullet form. We've explained concept after concept. There's no such thing as a victim. Because we have free will, it means that you've chosen everything that's happened in your life. And the day that you recognize that you've chosen everything that's happened in your life, you have set yourself free. Because you're the one that chose it, you can now be responsible. Prior to that, you're some sort of guilt puppet. And we will get to uh, more of that later on. So this is the beginning of a book of short stories that have a uh, teaching within them. And this particular teaching is really quite profound. And so if you'll hear Rod Serling when I say the beginning of this story, which is only two sentences, but our first story is set in a place long obscured by the sands of time. The theme is mystical in its nature and winds around a long-forgotten power. The name of our story is The First Step. So ordinary, so unassuming as to go unnoticed. It was a quiet spirit, calm. Its presence felt soothing. Yet it was worthy of a Mozart, little rhythms punctuated with an occasional hiss issued from the last embers of the fire. This existence danced its way into awareness. 
a storm? No, more just a rainfall. Still, it was greater than this. It was a presence. It was actually ensouled. The ceremonial masks hung on the wall, watching expressionlessly, their powerful features occasionally highlighted by the lightning. Thunder rolled with the skill of a ventriloquist voicing the comments of these observers. All this as the clan lay sleeping. This rain soul had begun to express itself in the thoughts of a child of nine summers. His name was Dancing Owl. Rolling his back against the wall of the longhouse, this vibration began sounding along his spine, penetrating even more deeply. As the raindrops fell, his thoughts went back and forth between the recent loss of his two siblings and what the storm had to say. The rain spoke to him in a language so ancient that he would not have understood were it not for his position between the worlds of sleeping and waking. The sun and the moon watched as his loving parents, as the storm's concept, and as his grief fell into place like the tumblers of a cosmic lock. Are you my tears? He asked the storm. He wished he could have changed the events of the day. It was now a complete lunar cycle ago. Yes, the answer slid through his thoughts like the water running down his cheeks. My name is Thalim. The storm rolled gently. Her name was a tintinabulation with the sounds of the drops hitting the dried roof. He remembered the last time he had seen his elder brother. They had disagreed about their younger sister and her desire to become skilled at fishing. The storm spoke again. I am the daughter of Omar the Sky and of Enel the All. The boy comprehended the vastness within these words. He asked why was he having this experience. He remembered the last look of defiance on his sister's face, which caused him both sadness and compassion. I am to bring you to a sacred space, the rain's answer was heard within his heart. I will come with you, he affirmed. Was it out loud? Was it just in his thoughts? What part of him had answered? The room began to spin as if he had a great fever rising up within it. He entered somewhere he had never been before. In the background, observing, stood the original father. Surrounding, a part of every atom, breathed the great mother. The sounds of the rain had become a drumbeat. It carried him on his journey all the way through time, each beat the beat of a heart. Some were the hearts of ancestors, some were the sounds of those yet to come. Enraptured, the boy's being awaited the next part of his ceremony. Totally stunned, even in this state, he perceived his elder brother standing in front of him, 
real again, as though nothing had happened. I've come before you this day so that you can know of my happiness and recognize yourself as the creator of your life, just as I was the creator of mine, and will be again. From behind his brother came a second voice. I love you, my brother. Perhaps this was not my lifetime to fish. His little sister spoke. More tears flowed as all three embraced. So much was healed. Sadness became happiness. Depression became creativity. And remorse became joy. My young brother, I have a great gift for you. He handed Dancing Al a deerskin with a symbol on it. This marking seemed incomprehensible to him, and yet he knew it was a great power, a true solar cipher. I will keep it always. I love you, my brother. His sister, giggling, said that she would visit him sooner than he would think. Was this all a dream? The sun had begun the day as he pulled himself back to himself in the bed, in the long house. I know it was real. I can feel the symbol and what it did. Father, father, mother, mother. A vision walked through my dreams last night. Tell us, Dancing Al, his parents were excited by his enthusiasm. I saw my brother and sister. You must know. They love you and are happy. One will greet you as my grandson. Both parents looked at each other, and then his father spoke. How can you know such a thing? It's only a dream. No, no, I will show you, please. He said, asking his parents to allow him to conduct a ritual. And they frowned and looked down. Excited and frustrated, he stepped out into the early day. A mist was everywhere. It was so unusual, this ground fog, perfectly even. Nothing of it was any higher than his heart. Any moment, though, uh, pardon me, every, any movement through it produced a curious sensation, as though he was connected to it in some way. As he walked towards the river, he began to recognize that same sense of consciousness that the storm had carried. Tell me your name, mist. He paused in his steps. You do not recognize me, came the reply. As he stood, little eddies and swirls in the mist began to appear. Come and dance with your sister. He felt a well appear in his heart. And through the tears, he stepped from one eddy to another. Soon swirling as though in a slow dance, hearing that giggle. The dance steps repeated again and again writing themselves in his being. Even when he had said goodbye to the mist, he could still repeat the movements that had become this new dance. 
by the ancient agreements, he was too young to conduct a ritual simply the way it was. Yet in hearing the request and looking into the eyes of the boy, the Council of Elders finally approved. There was much talk about it. He repeated his storm story to really everyone. Just before the rise of the next half moon, there was much, much excitement. The whole of his people gathered in a great circle. He stood in the center, head bowed, absolute silence. A feeling came up from the ground, entering his feet and traveling to his heart. It straightened his spine, it threw his head back. The cosmos opened and a brilliant light poured through him. Heaven and earth joined in his heart. For this moment of moonrise, the first beat was struck. The drum from his vision was expressed through those who were doing the drumming. He heard himself making sounds, not the sounds of a young boy. These were sacred tones, as though an elder's voice. More a group of elders, all chanting at once. The gods themselves. These intonations carried activator codes. The voice ended, and he began to trace the steps the mist had shown him. Alone, making a circle of the movements, all attention was on him. Around the group once, and his eyes met those of his mother. She was in tears. With no thought, he and his mother began to dance. She followed him, and when they approached his father, he joined. On the next rotation, everyone joined. All tears, all replacing loss with joy, all dancing the release dance. Dom brought a long-forgotten spirit with it. Dancing El... Dancing Owl heard something surprising, his father's laughter. His mother soon joined. The walk around the village was witnessed by laughter coming from every dwelling. Yet there was a shadow deep within his heart. All but imperceptible, but still there. He knew enough to treasure it, to bring it to the surface in his mind and look at it. When he did, it had the face of his grandfather, kind, smiling, with a sad message. Later that day, amongst the light-hearted spirits singing through everyone, he sat before his grandfather. What is this feeling I have? It makes my chest hollow. The wisdom of age peering back at him. It's soon time for me to join original father. I've done what I was sent to do. When you danced last night, I heard the voice speak to me. It says your life has honored us. And it's become time for you to return to the rest, to return and rest. A river of flood, of tears flooded Dancing Owl. His grandfather heard held him until his sobbing stopped. And when they looked at each other, they both smiled the same way. It was a smile only wisdom can bring.
The day before the next half moon, Grandfather announced he would go on his final vision quest. At dusk, he said goodbye to everyone and walked towards the star that we call Venus. Dancing Elf sat and watched the path his ancestor had taken. Just before dawn, there was a wink of light from the dark forest. The next day was full of sadness, and everyone told everyone all the stories of the one who had journeyed the night before. The melancholy prevailed until the moon rose once again, and he led the ceremony of the release dance. Again, the spirit of life accompanied the rising of the sun. It wasn't until many years later that he consciously realized the steps to the dance traced the cipher on the deerskin his brother had given him. For the rest of his life, he did this work. His heart told him about the new arrivals and when some would, re- would re- and when some would depart. He was the gatekeeper for his whole tribe. There were other talents and skills that developed. Events, crops, hunts, revealed themselves to him. Always when he stared at moving water, his new name became Water Reader. Long had he been an elder, when a young one began to ask him an endless stream of questions. When he was satisfied with the level of competence his first and only apprentice had achieved, he blessed the lad, and in a private ceremony, he presented the glyph that his brother had given him. No one had ever seen it in all those years, at the first quarter of the final moon, Water Reader heard great voice call him home. He journeyed to the sacred cave. With his own blood, he inscribed a symbol on the wall that was farthest to the northwest. As he had been taught on the half moon, the apprentice Red Owl did the release dance. The following morning, the sun shone brightly and laughter resounded. 52,000 years later, on that day of the yin-yang moon, a scientist using a UV light discovered a cipher written in human blood on a wall of a cave in the south of France. To date, no meaning has been ascribed to that symbol. And that's the story called The Next Step. As I said, it's part of a series of short stories that have a metaphysical teaching. If anyone would like to call in, I would love to hear what other people think of this. I do know what I think of it. At any rate, That won't be around for a while yet. 
but still we oh hi caller what's your name please alan harris alan hey how you doing i'm doing great how are you doing better and better i missed your story this time around but i understand it's about power yeah it's uh, uh it is it actually is about power uh a true power sort of thing uh, this show ought to be in the archives in a week or so, and uh, you can uh, catch up on the story then. It uh, was about a um, uh, tribe a group, a clan, and how one of the clan members was uh, given a vision uh, that allowed him to make it possible for people to release grief and experience happiness for whatever it was they were grieving about. Yeah, interesting, all the way around. Yes. I've noticed that there's a lot of power around today. A lot of people in my circle are experiencing themselves being empowered in really unusual ways. You know? Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's exciting. I like that. It is. And I'm making a lot of connections among my friends and things like that I haven't heard from for a long time. And it's sort of like... There's this big swirl of energy that uh, everybody's connecting in. More and more. A lot of creativity going mm -hmm. on. We are definitely reaching a moderate boil, we the human race. Well, I was reading your book the other day. and Oh, the new one. No, well, yes, the new one and the old one. And, uh, and actually your manuscript on We Have Already Ascended. Oh, yeah. And so I keep asking people, well, did you notice that we ascended? ascended and and they said, no. I said, but if you look back, <laughs> yeah. if you look back to 1989 or something, it's like, oh, my God, the world has changed totally, you know. Totally. And, but you don't see it as, as it go by day by day because we're all so embedded in our uh, <laughs> belief systems and habits and lives, you know. Minutia, but yeah. You turn, you turn around and look back, and mm -hmm. it's like, whoa. No, what, no, what yeah. has happened here? 89 was the um, harmonic convergence. And I think it was 87, yeah, but in that 87, time, yeah. yeah. You're right, 87 had to have been. Yeah, my entire life transmuted at that point, but if you'd asked me on any given day, I wouldn't have noticed. Right. It just seemed to be the way things were going. Or you notice, gee, the energy's squirrely today, or I yeah. feel down, or I have no energy, or, yeah. You have some reason that... Um, you're not participating in it. It's funny, that, that would be the definition of change. You don't notice change, you look back on it, and there's the change. Yes. But day to day, we are in the, um, in the present. It's probably because we use our old ling linguistic concepts to describe what's going on today. We get down the road, and our reality has changed a little bit here, a little bit there, and we look back, and hey, we have a whole new perspective with which to evaluate it. You know? Yeah, and that's, that's the evolution. That is what we're doing. And there's a lot, there's more to go, I can tell you. And then that would be a lot of, uh, quote, fiction I would be writing uh, about concepts. and uh, Fiction and reality get blurry. <laughs> Yeah. It's uh, hard to tell <laughs> what you're dealing with from some days, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and then by decade, we're very, very clear. Day to day, yeah. 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 But uh, the movement forward, that's the deal. 
Uh, I know you have done many shows here at FPA. Are you planning new stuff? Uh, you know, I don't know. My life is changing at such a <laughs> rapid pace right now. Yeah. I, I couldn't anticipate it, but it wouldn't be out of the question. How's that? Well, this is good. Yeah. Yeah, that would be good. Right now, I've I've got a friend of mine who just uh, went into business with somebody up in Hyattsville, and he's he's got these four-ton robot cranes <laughs> he's going to use to cut parts with and eye beams and stuff like that. And I thought, wow, you know, that's an amazing thing. You could become a sculptor with a thing like that. Yeah, he is a sculptor. Yeah, yeah. I know. When we spoke before, you were talking about the. Um, part of the book that I've called The Guilt Puppets, part of the empowerment. I was hoping you wouldn't bring that up. Bring that up, yeah. <laughs> um, that's the, what I'm going to do next on the show, is talk a little bit about uh, the advanced civilization. And right now, our civilization, uh, the backbone of it happens to be guilt, which is a totally false premise. Right. And, and as we said, guilt trumps logic. And no logical person can really see that because the logic goes to sleep because the guilt has taken over the control. And I use the example of you're sitting at a red light at 4 o'clock in the morning. There are no other cars on the street. Why wouldn't you go through the red light? Because the red light was designed uh, for many cars on the road designed for your safety when there are many cars on the road but there are not many cars therefore logically I would just go through the red light rather than wait for its cycle to complete because I'm interested in getting home because it's late but the debate between I might be guilty of being caught and there's no logical reason to be doing this that debate continues till the light cycles and so that cycle could have been a meditation, but instead it was a sword play with guilt. And that's the sort of thinking we'd love to see people clear up, not, not to be outré, not to be defiant of laws, not any of the rest of this, but to be able to think clearly. Right. So then I explain the trinity that's uh, involved in the... That's a great concept. I always like that. How to resolve a conflict, you have to pop to a higher level and find the point where you can unify yeah, opposing forces or concepts. Yeah, and the thinking in trinities is what does that. We just did a show on the trinities, the idea of um, exchanging the bipolar thinking, you know, right and wrong, guilty and not guilty, polar thinking for trinity thinking. And then in that way, it becomes a different world for us. We and I hear it. I hear it every once in a while now, which is a big deal to me. If someone had listed three elements in a particular a thought. I thought, my God, that person has no idea that they have begun thinking in trinities. And so I'm always looking for uh, more and more trinities. Like I hear the language codes, the the dropping of the word should, dropping of the word try. Everybody and their uncle is, uh, is now, everyone is now quoting Yoda from Star Wars 15 years ago, or was it 20 years ago, yeah. Um, do or do not, there is no try. And then it's be or be not, there is no do, which would be the next part up from Yoda. 
And so then, uh, well, you can see where the rest of that goes. In, in one of your books, didn't you make a distinction between duality and polarity? Yeah, we are, yes. That's an interesting one. Well, it's actually, yeah, there, that's a not too complex bunch of thinking. Right now, the average person, forgive me for this, we, who think in a polar way, a bipolar way, are stuck on one pole or the other. It's good or it's bad, it's up or it's down, it's back or it's forth, it's red or it's green. Okay. And that means you're only at one. Okay. Now, to get to the next step up, to release the bipolar thinking, is to begin to think in trinities. The axiom with the trinity is that any two things you think are polar, there is a third point of view that allows you to recognize them as the same thing. So red and green are the same thing because they're an actor from Canada. Now, red and green are the same thing because they're stoplights. Red and green are the same thing because they're color. Red and green are the same thing because they're Christmas. Yes. So there are more reasons they're the same thing than reasons that they are polar opposites. Now, with the po the, what holds bipolar thinking in place on our planet strictly holds this an almost but breakable clutch upon us is the idea that there is one and only one correct answer. But that's not the truth at all. There's many more than one correct answer. I liked your uh, example of two plus two, and you came up with an infinite number of answers. Answers to that, yeah. Yeah, and that's it. We have to consider, we ha we, when we observe that our thinking stops once we have the correct answer, Pardon me, did you say thinking stops? Yes, yes I did. I wanted to point that out. Because if we are going, with, as we ascend into the higher consciousness, the thinking doesn't stop. That's such a big clue, that one right there. You're in the box when you have the correct answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you saw in the book, I carefully said this is a first step out of the box, not the first step out of the box, because it was the first step out of the box, I wouldn't read that book. Right. And since I was writing it, I could, I could get around that, in that sense. All right, um, Alan, let me, I'm going to do the thing on guilt okay. in the book. And I well, thank it was you. good chatting with you. Yeah, I thank you so much for calling in, and as I said, in about a week you'll be able to catch this on the, uh, the archives. And then I'm thinking about where I'm going to go next in, the, uh, in this process. And there's the crystal ball. Hi, I've turned into a crystal ball by the magic of television. Actually, I'm still me. So again, thanks, Alan. And we'll see you soon. And uh, I wanted to start the um, fourth protocol, which is the guilt puppets. And I'm starting with a quote from Oscar Wilde, which I have always found to be a really brilliant quote. And... Um, the quote is, uh, an idea that is not dangerous is not worthy of being called an idea. All right. Now, there you go. Now, in our time period, to tell the truth is an act of rebellion the way things are set up right now. And I know what a subjective word truth is. 
So let's go on uh, releasing guilt. The advanced civilization will not be predicated by guilt. All manipulation is guilt manipulation. The advanced society will not be about manipulating people for any reason to do anything. It, if you wish to be manipulated, then manipulate someone because that's the way that whole principle works. So when we grow the necessary brain, necessary heart, to recognize who we are and what it is we are doing here in the universe, which will be ultimately the exploration of everything. Everything has to be, not has to be, that's a bully speaking, everyone. Our point here is to explore. It is who we are. It is our nature to explore. Think about it. If it was not our nature, we would have yet to discover the North American continent. Or the North American continent would not have discovered the rest of the world. We'd, we'd all be sitting on whatever particular piece of dirt we were born on and not exploring. It's our nature to explore. And guilt will inhibit that. Any sort of guilty thinking involves an inherent loss of freedom. And freedom and exploration are synonyms. It is who we are and what we do. So I want to go to the very basis of this and talk about the way this happens. We are born not guilty. Little babies will scream their heads off until they're fed. And when they're fed, they are not at all guilty about it. And they did not actually manipulate you. They just asked for food in an ever-increasing decibel level. But nonetheless, OK. And they didn't even know the language. And it is their, they have a right to be fed because they came here. We invited them here. And as the elders here, it is our great joy to feed the ones who have come. It is the nature of it, as we were fed. Otherwise, we're not here. OK. So when the child shows up, when any of us show up, we have brought with us the ability to self-correct. And my proof of this is exactly how many people have you ever had to tell, take your finger out of that fire right now. That would be no one, because you self-correct about that really, really rapidly. And yet, the waitress, waitron, wait being, the person bringing your food, is required to say that the plate is hot. Now there is a piece of flaming flesh on it, and it doesn't take a genius to figure out that the plate's hot, yet the waitron has to say this. And it has to be said because a disgruntled and burnt customer may sue the restaurant, putting the waitron out of a job and the said restaurant in the hole about five grand given the lawsuit the way that unfolds. So now we, we really have to reinstate our ability to self-correct because we've got it, but it atrophies because of people telling us. Okay, And at the same time, we wish to be informed. Again, both answers are correct. It is okay for the Waitron to say that. It is okay for you to know better than to burn yourself on the flames that are sitting in front of you. Both answers are correct. Now, we want to 
develop ourselves in such a way that the ability to self-correct supersedes the warning that's coming there. But that goes away. The ability to self-correct goes away. It's like, hey, dude, yeah, well, there's a train coming. Well, you mean the train? Yeah. Well, you know, you're on the tracks. Yeah. You know you're going to get hit by the train. Oh, yeah. Okay. Never mind. It's okay. That self-correcting thing is offline for whatever reason that is, and, you know, the Darwin Awards. That's, that's one that could exit the gene pool if you cannot self-correct enough to step out of the way of a train. And when friends are suggesting that you do that, yeah, okay, all right. So our ability to self-correct, and it's taken away from us by everyone telling us what to do. You don't get your shot in there because everyone tells you. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So the second thing that we came with, who's the second thing again? Oh, the, we came with the ability to meditate. Uh, a small child has the ability to meditate. Of course, that's taken away from us with the term daydreaming. Ah. <sighs> Uh, could you write that on my report card because I'm still meditating and whatever noise that is you're making isn't getting through, so maybe my folks can get through, but I'm going back to meditate while you write Daydreamer on my report card. But in 10 years, I'll be more advanced than you, so just write whatever you want on the report card because... Now, that principle there, when you meditate, you begin to access the big picture. Once you have accessed the big picture, then you have a far greater personality, I'll tell you that. Once you have meditated to a certain degree, you know how to act down here in the microcosm. You go to the macrocosm to figure out how to act in the microcosm. It's the way it works. You can figure out the whole thing from a, a moon orbiting a planet. You can figure out the whole thing uh, from the stars uh, rolling themselves into existence out of dust. I mean, that is the way the whole thing works. And macrocosm. So down here, we roll ourselves into existence, and then we have experiences, and very similar to what the universe is up to. It. As always, hi, there's the universe looking at me. So the more you meditate, the more you access the bigger picture, the more personality you have down here. And the less you do that, the less you have down here. And I really am <laughs> uh, playing with some individuals in, that are not embodied at the moment. All right. Now, the result of your ability to self-correct, your ability to meditate, results in your ability to recognize that dude that was looking at the train that was about to kill him did not recognize that because the system was interrupted. Okay, so self-correct, meditate, and then recognize. Okay, that's the deal. You get burnt in something, and we're using that uh, allegory, burnt in something. You meditate on that, and the next time that hot plate lands in front of you, you recognize that. See how the being told about it would cut off the meditation and cut off the recognition? 
Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Good. All right. Now, uh, yeah, that is the our nature prior to the guilt. Now, I've I've said that the advanced civilization is not going to run on guilt, and that really upsets a lot of people. And I know it, and I'm I can pretend I'm interested, but I'm not actually, because the I'm not saying about taking away guilt and then everybody acts in an irresponsible way and tattooy gangs break into your home and have their way with you and, and mess up your pets and graffiti your wall and, and uh, just have a great laugh at your expense. I'm not talking about a world like that. I'm talking about a world where we are recognizing who we are which are beings that came here to have experiences to make a greaterness out of our reality, not the fear that everyone has. Fear, doubt, worry, and guilt all have the same definition. And I've said it a thousand times. We've said it thousands of times on this show. What is the definition of fear, doubt, worry, and guilt? Don't call in. It's all right. As you remember, and you'll remember this time, fear, doubt, worry, and guilt all mean I can't handle it if. They all have that. That's what they are. I can't handle it if. Okay, so the word can't is a, a language code uh, by which you destroy your power. You destroy it very, very well. I can't handle it. And then the word if takes the decision away from you. So you could say, I won't handle it when, and that would not define fear, doubt, worry, or guilt because you're in charge there. I won't handle it when. I will handle it when, pardon me. I will handle it when, rather than I can't handle it if. And that's true. That's, that's the stepping stone out of all that stuff. I will handle it when. There you go. I will handle it when it happens. And since I am recognizing myself as creating the world, I shall then now, and at this very moment, create the holy and sacred duck. And here we have our holy and sacred duck dangler, Majan. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Ah, there he goes. Almost hang in there. Hey, stop. Oh, oh. Surrender. Okay, thank you very much, Duck. It's been good to know you. Well, you'll be back. Okay. Surrender is actually a brilliant concept, and surrender is inherent in an enormous amount of power. When we say, okay, the first premise, or the way it is in the language, you cannot argue with what is. All right, now I understand can't, etc. Okay. What is, is. And if you accept that, quote, surrender to it, you then gain power over it. 
I'm in quicksand, I accept it. Oh, look, there's a branch. Prior to that, I'm in quicksand, I'll be dead. Oops. Yeah? The fighting. The more you struggle, the greater the gain, the greater the loss of your power. So allowing, surrender, is an enormous place by which we gain power. We accept it. And um, I believe Mary has told the story about the um, um, French farmer that had the um, German occupational forces take over his house, and he said, well, I can regard these people as my guests, or I can regard them as my captors. So when he surrendered and regarded these people as unwanted, but guests, he never lost his power. Whereas if he had fought and refused to accept the situation, he would have probably had his life ended. Nothing, just, just any two antagonists, any, any, you know, and there is no victim, and that's another point. In the dissolution of guilt, and we really have to do that, and this is the last bit of the program. If anybody would like to call in with comments about the story, I would be very happy to hear that. And also, if anyone has any questions, anything else that they'd like to speak, uh, do pick up the phone and call in. Now, I'm going to dissolve guilt. Go ahead, call in. It's all right. You won't be guilty. Okay. We have a free will. Free will means that you choose, consciously or unconsciously, you choose everything that happens. Truth of the matter. We choose it all. Okay. Now, therefore, there is no such thing as a victim. Katrina had no victims. Katrina had people that participated in the hurricane. They participated by leaving town before the hurricane showed up. They participated by saying, oh my God, that is a lot of water. And they participated by choosing their gate into the other realms. But there were only participants. There were no victims. Uh, free will or victim, choose one. Hi, caller. What's your name? Hello, Neville. This is Philip. Philip. Well, How are you doing? Better um, and better. Before, before I get to what I'm going to say, let me just say you look sophisticated in those reading glasses. Why, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and they are now, strangely necessary at this point. While I was, while I was listening to you talk about that, read that story, oh. and you mentioned um, the guilt and everything, it brought up to my mind, have you ever read The Celestine Prophecy? Yeah. Well, I, I like that. It came to my mind when we were talking about how we were going to be um, going to another level of consciousness. Yeah, yeah. And that's basically what everything was described of in uh, in the Celestine Prophecy. Yeah, and we're and I there. I thought I'd voice that. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the whole thing. As uh, Alan Harris was saying, we are... Um, uh, you don't notice it, but compared to 10 years ago, my God, we are far more conscious. Uh, I, I, yeah. I like the, I, I like to, um, everybody talks about how the Mayans disappeared, how they like destroyed themselves or something. But it was really funny that the ninth insight on there described that they vibrated at such a high level that they just all transcended existence. At yes. Once. 
<laughs> I prefer to think of it as they went on to their next gig. Right, their next incarnation. Well, right. the Mayans were assigned. You know how in Star Trek uh, you're on one side of the galaxy and you're on the other side of the galaxy, but it's the same time? Okay, so there has to be an overall... You know, on, on our planet, it's a little messed up because right now it's four hours ago in California. So if you lost a lot of money gambling, all you have to do is go to California and then you didn't lose it again. No, it doesn't work like that. This is total illusion. So there has to be a unifying time code for the entire of the universe. And the Mayans agreed to do that particular little piece of um, God's yep. work, universal intelligence and all things work. And they went so to their they own hopped. time? Pardon? They went to their own time? No, no, they, they came to set the time map in place. Oh, okay. Our, they occupied our planet for approximately 800 years to lay down the gig so that we could get a hold of it. But the local politicians, uh, namely Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar, um, the Gregorian calendar was designed to disable conquered people. Nobody that gets the Mayan calendar could ever get that thing 30 days has November, October, somewhere like January maybe. I meant May. Well, man likes to grab everything that's made naturally and change it. <laughs> yeah, which is so ironic because the ambition of mankind is to find a maintenance-free environment, and nature is a maintenance-free right. environment. What it does it matter? <laughs> But it is our nature to explore, so we have to take trees apart and make them into books, and, then the, uh, and now we're doing it with pixels. This is now called a tree book. It just seems to me like that science has like gone a little nuts. It's like, come on, you want to leave a little mystery in the universe? Now, we, as scientists, well, metaphysicians and scientists are all doing the same thing. Everybody wants to find out what makes everything tick. It is... Uh, the metaphysician will approach it from the spirit into the physical, and the scientist will do it from the physical into the spiritual. But they're going to end up in the same place. They're it, working opposite spectrums at the same time? Is it working theirs? Yeah, it's which side of the coin. And yeah. both sides are correct. There's, there's, no, there's no one right answer. That's it, exactly. And the combination of the two still won't be the one answer, because then there'll be many answers, and on and on it goes. The obsessive-compulsive mind, the bipolar mind, it's cannot your comprehend right, you're wrong. Yeah, that there's more than one correct answer. I, the first time I heard it outside of my own head, and a lot goes on in there. Believe me, I'm thinking of running out rooms. Oh, was on Allie McBeal, where they were in court, and this guy whispers to Allie, I think it was to Allie, uh, they'd had five witnesses on that had five completely different points of view of the same thing. <laughs> and he goes, you know, they're all right. They're Every all, one of them. <laughs> yeah, they're all correct. And that's true. They're all correct. And so, I, remember this, I remember what you said about just justice, how it freezes everything. Yes, just ice. And, and I looked at the, I look on television and they have this career track for criminal justice. Yes. And it just seems like such a complete oxymoron to me. Yes. <laughs> More like an oxidized moron. At this You're point. right. 
Yeah, just is. I said the, the judge sits there and goes, just is, just we, is. We, in order to have, when we stop having victims, we'll stop having the justice system. And we'll stop having war. And we'll yeah, stop having... Yeah, and everything else. Yeah, and we're spending huge resources on being a little retentive there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, we've yeah. got no war going on here. Yeah, hmm. yeah well, we can't have that. So we can set up a cranial rectal extraction unit for the human race here. Anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go because I want a reading, too. Okay. Oh, Mary is not here this evening. Although we could do your reading, what's on your mind? Uh, call in next week. Mary will do the reading for you. Hello. It's all gone. Okay. This was the book translated into Hebrew. We're going to be at Ruby Tuesdays, if you would like to join us in um, uh, about half an hour, whatever that is. If you're out and about and you feel like it, come join us if you're uh, ready for the next edition. Uh, we're going to be announcing shortly that we're going to be doing uh, more shows uh, through Ustream on uh, Wednesday nights. Uh, we have some new classes coming up for the uh, summer. We have a um, super-duper advanced crystal class, and that's the technical name for it, super-duper, but uh, a very advanced crystal class. And uh, that one in particular, we're uh, appealing to people that have had the other crystal classes uh, to come and join us with that. Email in if you're going to come, because we have to have this set up ahead of time for people. And, and, ah, there's just so much. And uh, email in if you have any questions or comments about the story. I'm going to put together uh, a group of short stories that keep writing themselves. And then I'm going to amalgam that with a number of games to play. And then um, a section on dreams. And that will be the next book coming up. And I just wanted to test drive one of the short stories. And I'd like to... Uh, have that be uh, a step, uh, next step that I may take. And um, there's just so much going on. We'll have everyone quiet down. And we want to thank uh, everyone. We want to express gratitude to everyone for your becoming more conscious. And we feel very privileged to be in the position to offer axioms by which you may become more conscious. Come join us at Ruby Tuesdays, and we'll talk about it in persona, as they say, wherever they say that. And uh, let me see what else is going on. Ah, so much. At any rate, yeah, give us an email. Let us know what's going on. And I want to thank the, uh, express my gratitude to the callers and this is good. This is a wonderful world we live in, and we could know that. We could know that all the time instead of just when we're feeling happy. We could, we could recognize bliss in every single moment. And the more and more advanced we become, the easier it is to recognize the bliss. We spend a lifetime being trained to find the flaw, find Nemo, find something the matter, Let's see if find something to be happy about all this.
Thank you.